Hey guys, Greg here. Before we jump into today's interview, I just want to let you know that the audio that you're listening to on today's show is an abridged version of an extended interview Matthew Podolsky did with Dr. Rod Schoonover. Dr. Schoonover was part of the intelligence community tasked with convincing the Trump administration that climate change and national security were invariably linked. It is an incredible interview and is jam-packed, way too much stuff for us to fit into this podcast. And that extended version is available exclusively to our patrons on patreon.com slash Collective. For as little as a buck of creation, you can help to support the show we're doing as well as to get bonus content such as incredible interviews like this one. Thank you for everything you do. The Earth's climate is unequivocally undergoing a long-term warming trend. Higher temperatures produce not only hot days and melting ice caps, however. Rather, temperature is one of the fundamental control variables of the planet and affects more than just the weather and the climate. Rising temperatures drive changes in a wide array of Earth's processes in the atmosphere, the ocean, freshwater, soil, ice, permafrost, and organisms comprising the biosphere including humans. Some are familiar, like sea level rise and declining Arctic ice. Others are underappreciated, like depleting oceanic oxygen, the redistribution of animal and plants uh, on land and in the oceans. We're a long way from fully understanding how these factors will intertwine and affect people, societies, and governments. We expect, however, that many climate-linked stresses to human and societal systems to intensify or emerge many with outcomes important for national security. And a critical factor determining the degree of harm is how people and societies act to decrease their vulnerability or exposure to ongoing and anticipated climate-linked hazards. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. I'm senior producer Gregory Haddock, and I'm joined here with somebody you, you probably don't even know this guy anymore, really. Um, Matt, is it is it Matt? That's me. <laughs> that's 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 him. Co-founder and president of Wildlands, the parent organization of the Eyes on Conservation podcast. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm really, really, really excited to talk to you about this um, interview that you did. It's really heavy stuff. But before we get into it, I have to know, is there anything that we're going to talk about that's going to get me killed by the CIA? No, I think I think we're good, right? I mean, so uh, Rod worked, he no longer works for this agency, but he worked for the State Department. So um, as... Uh, in the in, intelligence as, community. Yes, in the intelligence community. So, and I mean, he was communicating i think as you'll hear in the interview he's definitely uh you know in communication with folks from the cia but uh yeah i don't think you need to be too concerned about that so yeah that's the gist of who who rod is uh and obviously this really huge transition from the obama administration to the trump administration which you'll get into here and definitely dives into in this interview um but i understand you have a clip for us you want to play right now so yeah, this clip we're going to play for you is public testimony to Congress 
which took place in June of 2019, so just about a year ago. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairman Schiff, Ranking Member Nunez, everyone here today. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. As an intelligence officer, my job is to provide clear, objective, independent analysis to policymakers to advance U.S. national security. As a scientist in the IC, I work to blend insights from peer-reviewed science with daily intelligence to provide science-informed analysis. A large part of this work has been to better understand the national security implications of a wide range of environmental and ecological stress. From a national security perspective, I fret most about two environmental uh, concerns, risks from instabilities to the biosphere, for example, uh, ongoing species, species extinctions and climate change, which is the topic of today's hearing. We expect that climate change will affect U.S. national security interests through multiple concurrent and compounded ways. Global, often diffuse perturbations are almost certain to ripple across political, social, economic, and human security domains worldwide. These include economic damage, threats to human health, energy security, and food security. We expect no country to be immune to the effects of climate change over 20 years, but some populations will be able to cope, adapt, or respond more effectively than others. Fragile states in Sub-Saharan Africa, the Middle East, Central and Southeast Asia are especially vulnerable as are small island nations. Climate change effects could undermine important international systems on which the U.S. is critically dependent, such as trade routes, food and energy supplies, the global economy, and domestic stability abroad. Most countries, if not all, are already unable to fully respond to the risks posed by climate-linked hazards under present conditions. Countries with weak institutions, low governmental legitimacy, or where the potential for conflict or strife is already present will have increased risks of instability. We can expect heightened tensions in some places over natural resources, such as water, arable land, or fisheries. Now, complications are many with respect to human movement, but the net effects on patterns of migration and statelessness could be dramatic. Uh, extreme events amplified by climate change may pose newfound humanitarian challenges, particularly when they occur with greater frequency or severity in the same region. Now, two words that get the attention of most national security professionals are uncertainty and surprise, and climate change will bring significant amounts of both. And we note that many Earth systems are, are now being driven by natural and man-made forces at very high rates of change. We expect that these stresses will produce a number of climate-linked surprises going forward. Now, the IC's role is not to predict the future, but rather to assess risk and strategic warning. Um, absent extensive mitigating factors or events, we see few plausible future scenarios where significant harm does not arise from the compounded effects of climate change. People's choices in the present and future, however, dictate the magnitude of many factors. Thank you. I look forward to your question. I love this clip because we don't talk enough about the connection between climate change and national security and how vitally interconnected those two things are. You know, I, I feel like as somebody that, that follows the climate change issue pretty closely, like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, it's surprising to me that, like, I wasn't paying attention to this when it was actually happening a year ago, right? Um, there was just so much, like, happening in the news. I mean, this uh, this public testimony, you know, happened, like, right before 
like the impeachment trial started, right? So this is like Adam Schiff questioning just a very short time before Adam Schiff was thrust, you know, into like the very center of the public spotlight as a result of his role in the impeachment testimony. So there was a lot going on at that point in time. Um, and I just, I think it's, it's, uh, it's worth like taking a moment despite all of the other crazy things that are going on in our country right now, (laughs) um, to just like look back at like, this is, this is what was happening in Congress a year ago there was this really important debate going on about the role of the intelligence community um, in assessing climate change as a national security issue. Right. But this testimony did not happen without its fair amount of controversy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not going to get into that here because uh, Rod goes into, you know, a really great description of like the, you know, what led up to this testimony and why it was so controversial and then the aftermath of what happened here. Absolutely. And I just want to preface one more thing before we get into this. This interview is jam-packed, and it is phenomenal. Uh, There's a ton of information in here, and especially about something as important as climate change and its direct relation with global security and foreign policy. Uh, You're getting just a taste of it on this podcast uh, for publishing reasons. And so if you really want to hear the whole portion of this, and I I really suggest that you do it. That's available to our Patreon community on patreon.com slash wildlenscollective. I'm Rod Schoonover. Um, I'm currently the uh, CEO and founder of Ecological Futures Group. And before that, and so that's stage three of my career. Before that, I was an uh, intelligence analyst uh, in the State Department and in the uh, National Intelligence Council, where my duties were to look at the national security implications and foreign policy implications of, of climate change. And even before that, I was a tenured full professor in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. How did you uh, end up working for the State Department? During the 2000s, during the uh, George W. Bush administration, um, I was somewhat alarmed of how science was being deprioritized in that administration. Um, And then it just so happened that uh, I came across this fellowship program where I could spend a year in Washington, D.C. I intended to take one year sabbatical from my position. And I, uh, I thought I was going to maybe be placed in a position where I would do science diplomacy. Uh, instead, I ended up in the intelligence community, uh, which was inside of the State Department, which was fascinating, not a place that I would ever have thought I would have gone. Um, And I liked it so much, and it suited me so much that um, I eventually left academia to serve my country. Tell me about the work. Like, you know, what what did you start off doing? And like, you know, uh, uh, where did you take it? You know, right away, um, you know, again, this is a world where I would write or uh, orally uh, analyze orally brief senior policymakers on 
issues of right away climate change, of issues of um, water security. So I worked on uh, my first couple years there. I worked a lot on uh, international water security and how water uh, scarcity, water um, quality, or issues of water quality were inputs into um, tensions between countries. Uh, worked a lot on uh, trying to understand the tensions on the, the Nile in, in Africa, tensions on Mekong, um, and, you know, really digging down into the, the geopolitics, digging into the science. But my audience were cabinet members and, and the president of the United States. So really, uh, it's a remarkable shift within, you know, a, a, a year or two. So I did a lot of work on wildlife trafficking and looking at who the benefits, you know, who benefits and uh, where money flows go. I did a lot of work on fisheries integrity. And um, of course, climate change was something I was doing constantly. So my mission was to take those two pieces, the science part and the intelligence part, and fuse them together to be... Um, for science-informed intelligence analysis that would be beneficial to um, people who were in charge of running the country. Um, but there were times when it was me who was presenting it to these people. Um, you know, so many of these are famous uh, <laughs> uh, people in government. Um, but so the work that I did on water, the work that I did on food security, the work that I did on wildlife trafficking helped, uh, you know, certain cabinet members, uh, Secretary of State, for example, Secretary St. Clinton. Um, you know, she had a great interest in water security uh, as, an, as a foreign policy issue. Uh, historically, water has been seen as an environmental issue. And some of the work that I did uh, helped justify it, helped uh, uh, really recast some of those uh, parts in terms of uh, national security. You feel like there was this shift, likely at least in part a result of, you know, the work you did and the presentations you gave regarding, you know, water as a national security issue, right? Like, do you think you ever reached that stage with climate change? Yes, um, the, uh, especially in the second term of the Obama administration, uh, there were clear uh, signals, and in fact, there was an executive order uh, issued by the president that not only established climate change as a national security issue, but directed uh, many of the national security elements of the government to take it on as a national security issue. Uh, but, you know, that vanished in the first month of the Trump administration. Uh, they uh, negated that executive order. There's this first step of like, okay, let's recognize that this is a national security issue. And then the next step is, okay, let's like assess like the true scale of this crisis that's unfolding in front of us right. and like look at solutions that fit the scale of the problem, right? Yes, you know, we should sign on to Paris and we should do all of those things. But what are we going to do 
In the meantime, how are we going to adapt and reduce our vulnerabilities uh, to climate effects? You know, I, I made progress in, in heightening the awareness inside the national security community, but I don't think most people in government, most people in the national security community really understood the scale of what's coming. In the intelligence community, in the CIA, for example, there are hundreds of people working on counterterrorism. You know, there are hundreds of people working on foreign policy and counter narcotics and you know, all of those hard security issues. How many people are working on climate issues? Four, five? There's so much in that that completely sticks out to me as just shocking and frustrating and and, and somehow also a little bit of like a like a like a pepper flake of ins- inspiration and hope but this idea that our intelligence community is loaded with hundreds of people working on counterterrorism and just a handful of people working on climate issues is mind-boggling i guess it's somewhat understandable because you have this somewhat tangible enemy versus climate change where it's it's so existential and it's so removed from um, this corporeal experience of an us and a them that we're I don't know what did you make of that so yeah there's there's this question of scale and you know even once we reach even once we cross this threshold where you know we have a president we have an administration that is willing to recognize climate change as a national security issue, um, like that doesn't necessarily like there's there's still this enormous hurdle to overcome as far as like getting those folks to recognize the scale of the crisis, Um, that this is not just another national security issue. And a really important example of that, um, because we started talking about the current pandemic, COVID-19 and how. COVID-19 is connected to climate change. And I think that's a good spot for us to jump back into the conversation here. And so I think this pandemic just really shows how out of balance we are. Uh, You know, we just, I think we just passed 100,000 American deaths, um, you know, this morning or, uh, you know, just recently. And, you know, that's over 30 times the number of people who died in 9-11. It's, it's, it's close to the number of people, of Americans that died in World War I. Um, and, you know, this pandemic has, you know, has emerged from, uh, you know, a combination of natural and uh, man-made perturbations to the planet. Um, I think most people know that this won't be the last zoonotic, uh, you know, disease. It, and we should see uh, COVID nineteen as a one in a in a pattern in a of of emerging infectious diseases that, you know, and and we can see very clearly just by the massive disruption it's done to our society. You know, this is a national security issue that's not being treated as a national security issue. It's just, and you know, you've got this monstrosity 
coming from climate change and ecological disruption right behind it. Uh, and so, um, and it's not going to go away in a year or two, right? It just, um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, as an American, you know, I look at the budget of the national security community. I think the budget of the Pentagon is, you know, something like $700 billion a year. And then you have, you know, fractions of that for the other national security agencies. Uh, but, you know, national security, its core mission is to protect protect the citizens of the United States. And so what has this $700 billion gotten us? Um, I, I think we need to take a really, a real hard look at, uh, at, at, you know, recalibrating national security, which is the government's most important role. You mentioned the current pandemic that's going on. Um, I mean, it, like, would you categorize like this current crisis over COVID-19? Like in your mind, does that fall into this category of sort of ecological disruption? One of the implications of, of, of warming is that the ranges of animals and plants and the pathogens that they host are moving in response to, uh, to warming. And, you know, in general, organisms are moving poleward towards higher latitudes and upwards towards uh, higher altitudes. Um, and, and they're moving at differential rates. And so this leads to a phenomenon called biotic mixing. So more, mix, more different mixtures of animals and plants and, and the pathogens they carry um, combined with what you know, evolutionary biologists argue that pathogens possess a pre-existing capacity um, for host switching. And so zoonotic disease in, becomes increasingly uh, probable as host species redistribute on the planet. And I think that's, uh, I think that's really concerning. And so, you know, I, I find myself arguing for a climate smart, you know, ecologically informed pandemic preparedness plan, right? And so we can't look at epidemiology like we did a hundred years ago. We have to bring the ecologists in. We have to bring in the climate scientists. We need to, you know, and, you know, in, in, when I was in the national security community, you know, I was that person and I shouldn't have been the only person. There, there, the, the national security community needs these scientists and they need scientists who are not represented uh, currently uh, in government. I found myself thinking as you were talking about that, about Hurricane Katrina. Right. And how when that was happening, I feel like we were like just starting to have that conversation right. about like whether like whether we can sort of point the blame for, uh, you know, the increase in prevalence of natural disasters. You know, can we can we blame climate change? But I feel like I feel like this that conversation isn't even happening right now in response to what's going on with COVID-19. Like, nobody's even... I, like, you're the first person I've heard, like, make this connection 
you know, this direct connection between climate change and COVID-19. I left these questions of whether, um, you know, this phenomenon X, Y, or Z are uh, due to climate change. I, I left those arguments a, a long time ago. I think the question really is how much are they affected, right? So, um, you know, I, someone gave me the analogy uh, a couple of years ago of a, um, you know, a, a baseball player who's taking performance enhancing drugs and, you know, hitting home runs, you know, a little bit more than they did the prior season. And can you point to any particular home run and say it was due to performance enhancing drug? I, I think you're right that the conversation on infectious diseases has not really, uh, that argument hasn't been made in the same way. And um, again, if we look at how disruptive the, this particular infectious disease outbreak has been, and we think about an increased pattern of this going forward, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a pretty frightening thing on its own without even thinking about all of these other tentacles of climate change, like sea level rise and ocean acidification and heat waves and floods. You know, th this, is the, this is why climate is so underappreciated uh, as an issue because it's such a monster in terms of the, the various multidimensional ways that uh, it can affect uh, people and societies. I'm also curious to hear about like the work you did when you were working, you know, within the intelligence community on pandemic preparedness. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the very last two months of my time in the intelligence community, I set up a, um, an, a what's called a war game. It's an analytic simulation of what would happen if a infectious disease outbreak of, of that's a pandemic potential um, what if it uh, arose in an era of uh, heightened disinformation? Uh, <laughs> and this was in, uh, this was in, uh, I guess this was in 2018, now I think about it. Um, you know, it was a pretty frightening uh, simulation uh, and I, it really unnerved me. Um, how that little piece of disinformation completely upended everything. Uh, you, know, the, the, you know, the moral of the story for all of those pandemic preparedness exercises was that we were always caught flat-footed, um, that you know, there, you, you know, these things arise so quickly that it's very difficult uh, to uh, respond adequately. And that's why you get these plans in place, you do all this thinking that you can, because the first, you know, the first week is so critical in terms of how it ends up, you know, uh, five, six, seven months. Everyone knew, knew in the national security community that a global pandemic was coming. Everyone knew this. We just didn't know the severity or the timing. When you saw the results of the 2016 election, like, what what were you thinking? Were you like, uh, I, I mean, obviously you 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 stuck with your position for a while. So you, were you thinking like, 
I, it, it's, it's even more important for me to be here, like because of what's going on. Like, uh, what was your thought process? My job uh, was arguably even more important to, uh, to really press evidence and uh, you know, uh, try to make the case that uh, climate change and, and paying attention to, to ecological disruption was good for America, irrespective of who the president was. And so uh, that's, that was my philosophy. And I worked for, uh, you know, I worked for two and a half years in the Trump administration. But then I draw the line at the um, obfuscation and manipulation of science. I, I, I draw the line there. So basically, uh, when the Democrats took over the House um, in late 2018, and uh, you know the new Congress came in in, in uh, early 2019, uh, very quickly a lot of the committees in the House uh, started, uh, you know, they started having hearings on climate change, climate change, and finance, climate change, and uh, you know, um, trade and the House Intelligence Committee that, you know, fame became famous, uh, you know, several months later when they ran the impeachment process. Uh, so, at, you know, Congressman Schiff uh, wanted to have a hearing on the implications of climate change on national security. And so inside the intelligence community, that that's me. Uh, and you know, certainly I was, since I worked at the National Intelligence Council and had already, um, you know, had engagements with Congress and, and the public, uh, you know, I was never undercover. I, I could freely uh, tell people I was in the intelligence community. So, um, you know, it was clear that I was going to have to be one of the major participants of that uh, hearing. And I think it's important you know, since since it was unclassified and open to C-SPAN and, and again, by extension to the American people, I think it's important when you make statements about national security uh, judgments about um, how uh, national security is affected, that you don't just pull these out of thin air, that you show where you got the work or you should show how you got to this. And so when you talk about climate change, you necessarily have to talk about climate science. In government, there's this fence between policy and intelligence. They're not supposed to mix. And so, um, you know, we prepared it and then uh, we were told the White House wants to clear and wants to see your uh, bureau's testimony um, ahead of time so that we can sign off on it. And, you know, what? You know, we, we did not like this, but other elements in the State Department, because uh, my bureau was not an independent agency, it was still part of the State Department. So the uh, State Department insisted that uh, we clear it. Um, we sent it to the White House and, um, you know, there's a lot of stages of this, but basically they said, well, omit 
all these sections that have science in them, which was basically, if I remember right, six pages of an 11-page document. Uh, just uh, this, this testimony does not comport to the administration's uh, views on climate science. Uh, and so, you know, that's just, um, you know, it, it was uh, completely unacceptable. Um, and we refused to omit just those parts. And so uh, because we refused and then, you know, there's some late night phone calls back and forth and it was ugly and went up the chain and, you know, different parts of the government. But, you know, I was told, I think, at nine o'clock at night uh, and the testimony was going to be the next day that I was uh, being pulled uh, from uh, from testifying uh, and that uh, because we refused to um, uh, to to modify our analysis because this is you know the intelligence community does not like to have its stuff monkeyed with it just you know take it or leave it but don't ask us to uh, modify it and so um, and then at 10 o'clock I got another call saying, oh, it's back on. You're going tomorrow. You're, you, you're allowed to uh, answer questions, uh, but you're not, uh, you won't have a written testimony, which is really unusual because whenever you go to Congress, you do a written testimony. I had worked a month on it, um, you know, and all of a sudden it was being withheld. And, you know, I was, uh, I was pretty angry uh, at this, by this point. And actually, I was a little nervous uh, because, you know, I was worried that, um, as I had seen in past uh, hearings, uh, I was worried that, you know, Congressman Schiff was going to ask me whether the White House had any role in uh, tampering or, you know, um, you know uh, modifying our testimony. And I knew I was going to have to say yes. And I knew it was going to be newsworthy. And my heart was pounding. But they never asked a question. And, they, and I was allowed to give my five-minute opening uh, summary of, uh, you know, of 12 pages. And, you know, it's on C-SPAN if anyone wants to go see, go see it. Um, and I laid out the case. And I used science. And I was very proud that I did it. It was five minutes. Um, and, you know, I had a picture of my daughter, my two-year-old. She was one-year-old at the time because I was so terrified. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone who, you know, certainly at that point sought the public stage. You know, I was kind of uh, ripped out of obscurity into, you know, for a temporary time. Uh, you know, uh, if not fame, at least some notoriety. Um, and so I had a picture of my daughter ju just to keep my nerves down. Um, and also because, you know, the reason a lot of us care about climate change is because of the, our, our kids and our, and their, our, you know, and their kids. And so, um, and then, you know, all hell break, broke loose the next day. Uh, you know, the, um, the testimony that I had prepared had some had been leaked to the press, 
Uh, and, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post came knocking and, uh, you know, I was still a government employee of not allowed to talk about it whatsoever. It's funny because right after it was being leaked, right after it got in the New York Times, you know, some of my friends were asking me if I was going, if I was going to resign. And I was like, why would I resign? What are you talking about? Why would I do that? Um, and then over, you know, 10 days, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to resign. Uh, not only to draw attention uh, to this, but also just, you know, I, I, need to, uh, I need to keep going forward. I need to make progress. And if it can't be done in the government, you know, I have to do it elsewhere. It was a job I loved. I, I walked into the State Department uh, through the front door, even though it was the long way around almost every day so that I could see all the flags and all the stars. And, all, you know, and I was so proud to work for the State Department. And it was very uh, hard decision to leave, although it was the right one to leave. And so... So, you know, uh, I resigned, you know, resigned in protest, although there was no checkbox, um, you know, that says resign in protest. A lot of people tried to talk me out of it. Um, some really nice, you know, people telling me that uh, I was irreplaceable, which is never a good thing. That, that, is, that should never happen. The piece that I think is really important and maybe really relevant to your podcast is that, you know, we've, we've talked a lot today about climate change. I think that's a really critical issue, but I think it's one of the two uh, emergent national security issues. Um, the, the other being, you know, however you want to call what's happening to the biosphere, uh, you know, the, the very support system for humanity is being gutted uh, through biodiversity loss and species, uh, you know, extinctions and, and habitat fragmentation. You know, I was waiting for a long time, maybe a decade, for someone in the U.S. government to ask me, you know, I keep reading about these insect declines. What are the implications for, uh, for the United States on this? What are the implications for amphibians? What are, you know, declining? What are the implications for, you know, 70% of mammals, uh, you know, uh, headed towards extinction by you know, 2050? I mean, these, these transcend national security. We're really talking about global security. Um, you know, and... You know, I watch as we have these, you know, what I think may be an elective Cold War with China um, for reasons I don't fully understand, an elective maybe Cold War, maybe hotter than that with Iran. When we have this uh, set of issues that we need to focus on, that are going to uh, harm and kill millions of people. And what are we going to do to protect uh, people and the, you know, and uh, the, the, the natural support systems on which we 
uh, you know, our, we, we require. And so, so, that's why, so I, that's why I formed this Ecological Futures Group, just to really devote myself to thinking about those issues. Um, you know, does conservation play a role in the national security discussion? Uh, you know, I, I think it does, but I really want to uh, sharpen that case for, you know, future policymakers, future thought leaders. Um, you know, for example, it's quite possible that the... Uh, the best way to protect ourselves from future pandemics like COVID-19 is conservation of bat habitats. It seems clear to me that in some cases, conservation has a direct, uh, direct link to, to human and, and national security. You know, people ask me, especially, you know, students, um, college students ask me, you know, how they can contribute uh, you know, and the thing is that, you know, I sat in the national security community and the science community and, you know, tying those things together or really elaborating on the, the links was, uh, was an important task. But those same things need to be done in other venues as well. Climate change and ecological disruption in law, in, in, uh, justice, you know, in psychology and communications. I mean, it's all hands on deck, I think. I mean, I couldn't agree more with your all hands on deck comment. And uh, I think that's a great way to sort of to express that, right? To sort of uh, tell people like that, hey, whatever you're interested in, whatever your uh, skill is or your skill set or your specialty, like there is an important role for you to play in this larger issue. You know, when I'm listening to that, it it's too bad that we don't have more scientist politicians because uh, there's such a massive disconnect between the science, which tells us one thing, and it's pretty reliable, and the politics of getting reelected. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great point, Greg. And, you know, I think it's he's not a politician and has no desire to play that role. And I think that's tied into like his, you know, he also talks about, you know, how nervous and, and, and hesitant and scared he was about giving this testimony um, in front of Congress. And, you know, to, to kind of juxtapose that, it's like clearly that's not the part of his job that he enjoyed or that he looked forward to. But it's also really clear that he loved his job at the State Department, yeah, absolutely. right? I mean, he talks about how he, like, you know, went out of his way to, like, walk through, you know, the front entrance of the building every right. single day um, just to get that, like, feeling of... See the flags and yeah, the stars. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so it's like, this is somebody who loved his job and felt like he was making progress, even though it was maybe frustratingly slow. He was still getting somewhere um, with his work and... I, it's it's clear that the work he was doing is, you know, was extraordinarily important. Um, and so here's somebody who loves his job, is doing, like, super important work um, and is essentially forced out of his position um, as a result of just the incompetence of our current political leaders. And it's just so, it's it's maddening, you know? Yeah. 
Well, he really gets pushed around, too, at just, you know, the 11th hour on giving this testimony. And it's, it's humorous in a really kind of melancholic way, the way his friends would say, well, when are you going to resign? Right. You know, why, why would I resign? Like, I'm, I love this job. I'm, you know, making progress. I'm doing things. We're, we're, we're moving. And then a couple of days later, like, oh, oh yeah, I, I actually do have to resign now. Right. And, that, you know, and then he has call, you know, and then he has like some of his other colleagues from within the State Department, like trying to discourage him from resigning, you know, so he's right. kind of getting it on both sides. And yeah, it's like, what do you do in that situation? Right. I mean, it's it, obviously he was faced with a very tough decision. We heard the words that he said in this interview, but you obviously spoke to him, you know, directly. Did did you get a feeling or a vibe or, or an emotion about um how he kind of processed that afterward. Do you feel like he thinks he made the right decision? I, I got the sense that, that he did, that, you know, he's, he's had some time um, to kind of think about it. You know, like, like we said before, this was about a year ago that he gave that public testimony. Um, and, you know, he's, um, he's, so he's had some time to kind of distance himself from it for sure. And I, I definitely got that sense, right. It would, it, it would have been a lot more raw and emotional if, you know, this w- had happened more recently, I think. Um, and he's clearly moved on to the next stage of his career. He's founded this organization, the Ecological Futures Group. Um, and so he's sort of, you know, uh, definitely well on his way to sort of finding like that that next step as far as what he can contribute to this larger issue that obviously he's still very passionate about. Um, Matthew Podolsky. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. And again, to our audience, uh, there's an extended, a much longer version of this interview available on Patreon. Um, Buck a Show really helps us out to continue doing this kind of work. And there's some really, really, really great content on there. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Eyes on Conservation podcast is a production of the Wild Lens Collective. Today's episode was produced by myself, your co-host, Matt Podolsky, along with Gregory Haddock. Music for today's show is by The Great Turtle. You can learn more about the Eyes on Conservation podcast by visiting the website for the Wild Lens Collective at wildlensinc.org. You can also check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wildlandscollective.